today's scripture is from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning, he came walking towards them on the lake. But when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Around you, I'm sure you have noticed, we have cards. If you were here last week, you know that that was because last week we began our stewardship focus, our sermon series on the theme, All You Can. And all of these cards represent different blessings, ways that you have been blessed by our congregation, by our church. And we are celebrating that. Um, We are in the process of putting together a video that celebrates the ways that our church Um, touches people's lives. We're very good at celebrating things like vacation Bible school and mission trips and stuff like that. But next week, because our theme um, will include our remembrance of our baptism, we want to talk a little bit about the ways that our church is also there for each one of us that aren't as visible. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, you don't have to say anything. Um, We're just asking you to uh, make a card of a way that the church has helped you and has Uh, supported you and loved you, either maybe through guiding you to a Bible study or being there for a difficult time in your life. Um, If you'll meet Colin, Godfrey, and myself in the uh, preschool room downstairs in the fellowship hall after worship, we would appreciate that, and that would be wonderful. As I mentioned, uh, well, actually, I don't think I did mention, Pastor Rick, along with Mary Gladstone Highland and four members of our mission committee, are away this weekend in Columbus at a um, at a conference at the uh, Church of All Peoples, the United Methodist Church that is in active ministry in the community there and and in in engaging in transformational mission. Um, They are there learning and seeing what they can bring back to help us as we relate with our community. And so I ask you for your prayers for them. They'll be returning tomorrow night. But this is a wonderful blessing that they are there, and we're excited to see what they'll be bringing back to us. I myself just returned late last night from a retreat. We took our um, high school and middle school youth on a retreat to Camp Copenhagen. We had 40 youth and 10 adults, and we had a great time. We did a ropes course. Um, the middle school youth did zip lining. We did all kinds of team building activities, and it was a great weekend. And if you don't know it, and I hope you do, we have the best youth, I think, in the world. 
I am so blessed to have this opportunity to work with the high school youth. That was a nice clap. That was, that was good. We can clap for that. <laughs> I, I am so, I, am, I, I realize how much I missed working with youth, working with these kids. They are just fantastic. In fact, as I was walking up here to get ready to preach, one of them said, don't stutter. So, <laughs> ever supportive. But um, they are wonderful and a celebration. And I just wanted to share with you a little bit of what was going on. And now, will you pray with me? Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's a familiar story, one that we've heard before, one of those stories that artists have rendered, one that we're taught as children. Matthew and Mark both tell the story, though a little differently. In Mark, the disciples are in the boat with Jesus crossing the sea. The water becomes rough, and they are tossed about. The disciples become worried. Jesus is sleeping, and when they wake him up, he calms the sea. But in Matthew, the disciples are in the boat, heading in the same direction, yet Jesus is on the shore. He's not there in the boat. The weather becomes rough. They are battered by the waves. In Matthew's account, we see things a little differently. The disciples are on their own in the boat. It signifies to any of us that chaos, the, the, the sea roaring, it can easily signify to us what life is like without Christ. The chaos, the ways the, the anxiety builds and all of that for us. But in the Bible story, then Jesus, of course, we know, begins to walk. And he's walking on the water, something that we all, I'm sure, are very intrigued about and wonder about. But it shows us the power that he has not only to calm the sea, but to walk on water and bring relief. And as the disciples sit there and wonder just exactly what's happening, is this Jesus or is this a ghost? Peter, ever the representative for all that can be misunderstood in faith and discipleship, says to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, if it's you command me to come to you on the water. We, of course, wonder about this. Is this just Peter wanting to see if he too can walk on water and have that experience? Or is that he wants to escape the boat and be close to Jesus. Jesus calls, come, to Peter, and Peter gets out of the boat. And typical of Peter, we are not shocked to see that he gets all puffed up and gets out of the boat, but then becomes scared and begins to falter. Now, some commentators will caution us not to be too hard on Peter. We pastors have a tendency to portray him as impetuous and maybe a bit of a dolt. We think he's all talk and little action, and I admit that I get caught up in that as well. I like Peter for the fact that he is always messing up. But what I discount is the fact that while Peter has the re responsibility of representing all of the disciples and frequently seems to misunderstand, Peter addresses Jesus as a believer would. Here and in other places in the Bible, Peter addresses Jesus as Lord. And then he does something that many of us, in our efforts towards faith, struggle to do. He gets out of the boat. And he begins to walk. And then, I'm not sure what exactly happens, 
Maybe he just can't see Jesus. Maybe he starts to look at the water instead of keeping his face on him, but he starts to falter, and he begins to fall. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help you. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. All right, well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well... Jesus, I trust Good. you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm going to fall okay. back. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted. Okay. All right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay. I'm going to do it. All right. I'm really going to do it. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay, hold it. Oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this one's a little bit different, Laura. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. Oh, forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes, the okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. Especially when you do it. <laughs> Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. <laughs> Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. In the video and in the scripture for today, both Peter and the woman are struggling with trust. Last week, we began our stewardship focus, all you can, as I said, and we began by discussing blessing. And this week, we focus on trust and sacrifice. The point of today is to remember that giving is a matter of trusting God, that God will provide. It's a reminder that all we have and all that we are is a gift to us from God. Stewardship, as you know, implies to us that we are to be caretakers for what God has given to us. The Bible tells us that we are to give back to God from what God has given us as a sacrifice, as an offering and praise and thanksgiving for all that God has given to us. Now, I will admit to you that sacrifice is not a word that I like to use very much. In fact, I would bet that for the majority of my ministry, I've sought to avoid the word. I don't like to ask anyone to sacrifice. And yet we're called to sacrifice, to give so that others can live, to give a portion of what God has given to us back to him as an offering. We have an altar in the middle of our worship space set there to represent 
our sacrificial offerings, and yet we don't want to talk about it. In every book that I've read, and I will tell you that when I have to preach on stewardship, I read more books in preparation for these sermons than any other sermon all year long. And so if you had seen me this week, you would have seen that I was surrounded by eight or ten books as I was reading it because, you know, really, I don't like to talk about money and I don't like to talk about sacrifice. And so I just figure if I just quote to you the experts, then it'll be okay, right? (laughs) And so as I was reading my books, they were reminding me that pastors don't like to talk about money as if I needed reminding. And once again, I was further reminded that Jesus talked about money more than any other subject. Yet, we pastors want to avoid it. And we do so pretty successfully. We don't want to ask you for more because we believe that money and politics and sex should not be discussed. They're all private matters. We don't want to talk about giving as a matter of trust. But it is. So here we go. Can I trust you? Can I be vulnerable with you? Will you permit me to share with you about Mike and I and our struggle to trust and to sacrifice? When I began to serve my first church 14 years ago, my husband was in school. We were newly married and had grand expectations of ourselves that we would tithe that we would give 10% of my gross income. What we hadn't counted on was the fact that he would not often be in church with me as he was doing pulpit supply and going back and forth to Chicago and things like that. And so I would often forget my checkbook because I was really busy on Sunday morning and we became severely behind in our giving. We were also enjoying our first real taste of adulthood and having a regular paycheck and pretending that, you know, we were living on our parents' income still somehow, you know, and living beyond our means, or I guess I should say I was living beyond our means, and be honest. Pretty soon we realized that we weren't going to be able to make our pledge, and I'm embarrassed to admit that I thought it doesn't matter to a church like this. With a million-dollar budget and plenty of wealthy people, My $2,700, my tithe, won't make a difference. I'd been taught differently, but that didn't matter now. Even as I was serving God, I wasn't trusting God or living by my faith. I got my priorities messed up as I invested myself in looking a certain way and living a certain way. I wanted to be generous, yes, but to my friends and my family, I contributed to my schools. I had a reputation to protect, you know. I wanted my name to be listed in the books that go out. When I was appointed to a new church, moved to a new community, to a church with about a tenth the size of the budget of Metropolitan, I began to reorient myself. I don't think it was just because now I was ultimately responsible for the church's budget. But as Mike and I began to increase our family and to purchase cars and to incur debt and to do all those things that you do when you're beginning to build your life, at uh, the church I was serving, they instituted EFT or electronic funds transfer. 
And of course, when you introduce a new program like that, you have to have the pastors sign up first, right? And so that they can attest to how wonderful it is. And so I said, you know what? We're going to take this chance. We're going to take this opportunity and we're going to start tithing and we'll give a monthly tithe and it will come right out and it'll be the first thing that comes out of our budget. I was going to, for once in my life, really put my money where my mouth was, even though I knew that we had debt to pay off and we would be having even greater expenses. It was time for me to trust God. The money came out at the first of the month, and in some ways it was just another bill, but in other ways it began to give me a sense of peace. I no longer felt guilty for not giving what I wanted to. I put my trust in God that we could give and it would be okay. And I felt like I could ask others to do likewise because we tried it and it worked. And it did. And it didn't even feel like a sacrifice, even though the extra money each month would have been nice for paying off debt quicker and for saving more and maybe vacationing and things like that. I experienced a blessing that gave me integrity with my congregation and with God. A few years later, Mike's church in Blissfield offered Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Do any of you listen to Dave Ramsey on the radio, or have you taken his classes? <clears throat> this uh, Financial Peace University, or FPU, is a nine-week class that focuses on debt elimination, budget prioritization, saving, and giving. It revolutionized the way that Mike and I, and I approached our money. We began to truly believe that it was a gift from God to us and that we were responsible to be wise stewards. First, we saved, then we paid our debts, and we only used cash to pay for things, and we stuck to our budget. We increased our retirement savings, and we began to save monthly instead of infrequently for our kids to go to college. And we began to feel free free from the anxiety and chaos, free from the storms. We began to trust God to guide us in our decisions, and all the while we continued to give 10% to the church. Now many of you know that this fall my husband became a full-time student again. He's working on a second master's degree in information assurance or internet security. After much discernment and prayer, he decided not to be a pastor anymore. This decision meant that our income was cut in more than half. We had to look at our budget and determine whether or not we could still continue to save and to give the way that we had been. And after prayer and pouring over the budget, we determined that we could still give a tenth of our income. Things are tight, yes, but we are trusting God. We are trusting that God hasn't asked us to do something that God hasn't given us the resources to do. Now, I feel very vulnerable in sharing this with you. In fact, like I, I feel a little emotional, and I, it's kind of caught me off guard because I don't share it with you in an effort to brag or to say, look what we did, look what we can do. I share it with you because first and foremost, every book I read said I have to share it with you. <laughs> <laughs> And I think it's true, though, 
that I should share it because I can't ask you to do something if I'm not doing it. I share this with you because I also want you to know that I've struggled. I've struggled with money. I've struggled to trust God. I share it with you because I really believe that giving is a blessing. And I know that it feels good. But also it's a blessing because it brings order to our life. When Peter began to sink, when the chaos of the winds and the rains began to scare him so that he began to fall, Jesus stepped in and held him up. Jesus does the same for us. That's what trust is all about. When we trust God to guide our giving and our saving and our spending, God clears the anxiety and the chaos. I know it. I've experienced it. I continue to tithe because I believe that God will make a way because I believe in the ministry of Clarkston United Methodist Church, and because I want to keep my priorities straight, and my number one priority is for me and my family to grow in faith and discipleship. In this journey of giving, I've come to know a few things. First, when God calls you to do something, God has already equipped you with the resources that you need to do what God asks of you, even if that means depending on him and growing in faith. Now, let me say that again, because I think it's really important. When God calls you to do something, God has already equipped you with the resources that you need to do what God of asks, asks of you, even if that means depending on him and growing in faith. We're going to be asking you for pledges soon. That, that's part of the stewardship campaign. We've already asked you to pray about it. And so as you are prayerfully contemplating your giving, I encourage you to look at your whole budget. Look at what you can do. You know, not everyone starts out with a tithe. Not everyone gives a tithe, and that's okay. Everyone has different situations. I know that. But I encourage you to look at your budget and look at everything and say, what percentage can I give back to God? How can I say thank you? What do I have to offer? And to take that percentage and, and set that as your offering. And then I encourage you every year to go back and look and see if you can't go up another percentage and see what that looks like. And consider what God is calling you to give to God. What sacrifice can you make as you trust in God, knowing that God will give you peace and freedom as you make your offering? I've also come to know that God's desire for us is to give. God's desire for our generosity is not because of something that God wants from us, but something that God wants for us. God wants us to trust, to use our resources and the gifts that God has given us, but God also wants us to experience the joy of balance, the joy of a life that reflects your faith, a budget that reflects your priorities, a freedom from anxiety and the pull of money, and the blessing of giving and knowing that you are actively taking part in the building of the kingdom. It's a prayerful journey that we're on as we consider God's giving and our giving, as we strive to trust in God and in God's plan for us. And so I ask for your prayers. I ask for your prayers for the church, for yourself, for me, 
and I'm praying for you as well. Amen.